So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no, no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to understand this passage today. Help us to come to you seeking your mind and your ways and your expectations of what it looks like to have our lives totally and completely on the altar, as we're told about in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Help us to come under your sovereign care and authority. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a passage that not very many people have read. It goes in, it's in Judges 17 through 21. It's a text that um, is given to like first-year Hebrew students to translate because they haven't read it either and they can't anticipate what's coming next. Many of you have read Judges 17 through 21, and when you get to the end of it, you say, I don't understand what was happening. In that passage, you have idolatry, you have violent rape that's both homosexual and heterosexual, you have dismemberment, civil war, kidnapping, and more rape. All of this was done with people who thought they were doing the right thing. And the writer of Judges summarizes this whole ugly scene in Israel's history. He's saying, you might have heard of this season in our nation's past, he says. Let me summarize what this season in our nation was like for us. It's summarized in Judges 21, 25. There was no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the summary of this whole sordid affair in Judges 17 through 21. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, friends, we are in a culture, we are in a society, Western society, that has long since departed Christian, Judeo-Christian ethic values. Whether it's 
Western civilization in Europe or Western civilization in America, our society does what is right in its own eyes. And the writer of Judges is saying these are the sorts of things that happen. The sort of bizarre behavior. This is what happens when people begin to do what's right in their own eyes. Now the good news for us is that we are by no means in an exclusive position by living in a culture where people do what's right in their own eyes. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was writing this passage that we just read to the Ephesian Christians, he is writing to a culture that is awash with impurity of every type. And it's not a culture that had departed from Judeo-Christian ethics. For there were no Judeo-Christian ethics that were even known. This was a city that was, that was uh, uh, brought to life, that was energized by worship of Diana, the Greek goddess of fertility, blessing, and prosperity. In fact, they had little footprints etched into the city streets, and the footprints would lead you to the temple of Diana where paid city prostitutes would allow men to perform acts of worship, all to invoke the blessing of Diana on the temple. This was a city that was awash in all sorts of immorality. What's really important to remember is these people would read a passage like this. So, for example, they would say, but sexual immorality and impurity, and impurity or covetous must not even be named. They could rightly ask, well, then, what is sexual integrity? Right? They hadn't seen it modeled. They hadn't seen it done. They would have every right to ask that question. The Apostle Paul would be very patient with that. But that brings us to our first observation of this passage that we have to keep in mind. Ephesians was written, this section, Ephesians 5, 3 through 8, was written to Christians, about Christians, for the benefit of Christians. Okay? Now that's very important for us to remember. Because it's so easy for us especially when we start talking about matters of sexual purity or Im impurity, to start pointing the finger outside of our four walls to the activities of those who don't claim to be Christians. And the Apostle Paul is not encouraging us to do that. This is a message for believers, about believers, by believers. This is an in-house message. And it's really, really important for us to remember that as we move forward. Lest we become what the world accuses us of being. And that is judgmental. Or, worse yet, reducing the entire content of Christian faith 
to sexual integrity. Now, sexual integrity is very important. But it is not the end of all Christianity. We, of course, want to put on integrity in this aspect of our lives. But at the same time, it's not the defining hallmark of Christianity either. We do poorly when we overemphasize it, and we do poorly when we underemphasize it. And so here Paul has a message for believers about what it looks like to have our lives completely on the altar. So with that in mind, let's move forward into Ephesians 5, 3 through 8. Let's remember the context where we just came from. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you remember what that meant? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is alluding to all those sacrifices of Israel where they would bring the altar, bring the sacrifice and put it on the altar. And never once did the person worshiping take something off of the altar and take it home with them. Never did they put on some grain and pluck a few off for them to eat. Never did they put on some meat and slice off the best part. Sometimes the priests were allowed to do so. But in every case, the worshiper left his altar completely and totally there, walked away from it, and when they did so, it says that the smell of it rose like a sweet aroma, like a savory, fragrant offering to the Lord. And we noted that that is the type of imitation that Paul is calling every believer to. All of us, all, every part of us, on the altar, rising as a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. And you might say, okay, Paul, what does that look like day in and day out? What does it look like day in and day out to be body, soul, and spirit yours? And Paul says, okay, well, let me give you some examples. First of all, he says, sexual, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Paul comes up with a pattern here. Okay, just look at verses 3 and 4 and you'll see a little pattern. There are three things that Paul says should not be named among Christians. And then he provides an alternative. And then there are three more things that Paul says, if your life is going to be on the altar for the Lord, these things are excluded, and this thing is included. Okay, do you see the pattern? Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, not to be named. What's the alternative? What's proper for those who are holy? Or words that we speak, filthy or foolish talk, crude joking. What is to come out? Thanksgiving. So Paul has this pattern, three sins that mustn't be named, and then one that should characterize us. Three sins that mustn't be named, and one that should. So what are the first three sins that mustn't be named among Christians? What does he mean by mustn't be named? Let's just pause right there very quickly and understand. Paul is calling Christians, remember this is for Christians, about Christians, we're not talking to the world. Paul's not talking to those outside of the church. He's talking to us. 
He's talking about above-board integrity, blamelessness, a person who is above reproach, the sort of reputation that even if an accusation, a false accusation were to come, nobody would believe it because they know that person to be a, an individual of great integrity. That's the sort of level of commitment that Paul is calling us to. He says the first thing that mustn't ever be named among us is sexual immorality. Now, you might want to write down the word pornography. Porneia is the Greek word. This is sort of a catch-all word for any type of sexual behavior outside of God's design. This could be fornication or adultery. This could be pornography for the sense of uh, for the uh, or sexual stimulation. This is basically a catch-all word for any type of sexual sin. Now let me be very clear about something. Every person in here is a sexual sinner. Every person in here is. Because God made us sexual beings. And every part of us is broken by sin. Every part of us is broken by sin, including this part. Intimacy, marital intimacy, is good and wonderful. It's God thought it up, not man. God wanted to give this as a gift to married people to enjoy within the boundaries of biblical marriage. And you, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Go read Genesis 2. God was the officiant of the first wedding ceremony. He brought the man and the woman together. They were married and they enjoyed intimacy with each other. This was this is a good gift born in the mind of God designed for us. But as all gifts can be twisted and used for evil so can this gift. And it also happens that the better the gift the more evil it can produce. Think about the good gift that fire is for cooking food or for warming yourself, but the awful consequences that fire can have when used inappropriately. Sexual intimacy is a wonderful gift that ought to be protected and cherished and loved. But this word that should not even be named among us is any type of behavior that goes outside the boundaries that God has set for us. The second type of sin that mustn't be named among us is uncleanness or impurity. You might want to circle that word and write down Romans chapter 1, verse 24. This word is most commonly associated with idolatry. Now again, in the ancient world, idolatry and sexual immorality went hand in glove. Almost every god or goddess or deity had a temple that was essentially a brothel. Do you remember back in Genesis, Judah was going away from the Lord, and he went looking for what was called a cult prostitute. It was a pagan deity to the moon god, the moon goddess, rather. And she had prostitutes in her service. 
and men can go do acts of worship at these temples, which, again, were essentially brothels. Well, impurity, any form of idolatry. The third thing that mustn't be named among us is covetousness or greed. The Greek word is planexia, and it refers not so much to the greed, but to all the sins that sort of surround the greed. When you think about greed and you think about the sins that surround it, what are some of the words that would come to your mind? Extortion or blackmail or cheating or lying or dishonest gain. Greed creates in our hearts a desire for a whole set of sins. And that's what this word is referencing. Now, we need to ask ourselves a question. These are, in our English translations, these are a few different words, but in Greek, there are three words. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Are these three separate things, or are these three ways of saying the same thing? Okay. If you were to open up a list of commentators, they'd be split almost exactly down the middle. These are, this, this is, these are the same words describing different aspects of sexual sin. Or these are three completely separate, different terms describing three different sins. I'm going to take the middle road between those two opinions and say, let's call these family sins. Okay, These are sins that I think as we read the Bible, we see that they're commonly connected with each other. But they are different enough to where we could say these are different people. Okay? Uh, nobody would accuse my son Schaefer of being my son Peyton. But take one look at them and you realize they're in the Baker family. Okay? And so I think that's what's happening with these three sins. They're in the family. But they are separate. So what should replace these three things? Well, Paul says that we need to live as is fitting among saints. Live as is fitting among saints. That word saints can be very confusing to people who aren't familiar with New Testament Christianity. A saint is not like St. Nicholas or St. Patrick or... St. Augustine. A saint was simply a designation for a holy one. Okay, go back to Ephesians chapter 1 very quickly. Look at the very first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to who? To the saints. You. You realize every one of you sitting in here is a saint. What does it mean? You're, 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 a, you're a hagioi. You, you're, you're a holy one. You're called to be holy. A, 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 a holy thing is a vessel. That's it, actually technically the word for it. A, a, a holy thing is a vessel. Do you remember there would, the, in the Old Testament, there were all of these accoutrements for worship. There was a candlestick, for example. Or there was a, a plate or an altar. What made this plate special as opposed to that plate? Why was this plate given over to temple service and that plate not? It was simply a matter of dedication. 
We have these plates right here. I think I've suggested this before. Um, Rhonda got mad at me for even suggesting it. Okay? Imagine we've got this plate for the Lord's table today, right? Imagine coming in on Tuesday and seeing me eat fried chicken and macaroni and cheese out of that plate. Just a big plop of macaroni and cheese right in the middle of that plate. How many of you would be happy about that? Nobody? It's just a plate. It's just a plate. Ah, but it's a special plate for a special use. We use that in worship when we take the Lord's table. It's not for your greasy chicken and nasty macaroni and cheese, Pastor Greg. Keep your hands off of it. Okay? Set aside for special use. That's what it means. And by being called, by being saved, born again, all of us are vessels set aside for a special use. And so Paul says, look, there's behavior that fits vessels who have been set aside for special use. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Use your bodies, therefore, in the service and for the glory of God. And there are things that ought not be named among us. Sexual immorality. Coveting. Uncleanness. Idolatry. We need to think of the sacredness of ourselves in the sense that we've been set aside by the Holy Spirit for special use. And the Christian journey is this. The Christian journey is bringing our behavior, bringing our thinking, bringing our entire selves into line with what we already are. You are a saint. You are sanctified. You are set apart. You are, according to Ephesians, wealthy in Christ. You are adopted. You're a son. You are privileged beyond your wildest imaginations. Now go act like it. That's essentially what the Apostle Paul is saying. We're to be bringing our lives in line with what we've already with what we already possess with the riches and wealth that we already have what are the next 3 what's the next 3 words that ought not be named among us well if the first 3 were in the family these 3 are also in the family there are 6 siblings in this family there are actions of immorality and covetousness and uncleanness and there's a certain way of talking that accompanies these three sins. And it's this. It's, he says right here in verse 4, filthiness and foolish talk or crude joking. The word filthiness uh, can include cussing or cursing. It can include dirty jokes as well. Now, I'm not making up that definition for a word. You can read, you can read all sorts of secular Greek and that's how they would define the word. When Paul said, I don't want any of this sort of talk, it was very clear what he was talking about. Foolish talk. We get the word moronic from it. Okay? Seriously. It's the Greek word moron. Okay? 
no moronic talk, foolish talk. This is word. This is words that are. Um, what would we say? This we. Th- this was actually again a word that was used in the Greek theater, okay, in the context of Greek theater, and we would call this. Um, uh, cheap thrills, or, or kind of an e- easy joke. A, a, a joke for entertainment value, uh, base entertainment. Okay, base entertainment. It, you can always get a laugh if you show this. Or you can always get a, a cheap uh, chuckle when you talk of that. We have that in our culture today. And that's Paul was no different, and that's what he's referring to. And then he, he talks about uh, crude joking, crude joking. I, I think that's probably uh, a second best translation because I think the real meaning of the word I don't think would be as well known in English as crude joking is. What if I said no double entendre? How many of you would know exactly what I meant by that? Okay, probably not. That's the best translation, actually. And double entendre is um, turning regular words into a joke that has sexual meaning to it. Okay? You guys know somebody like this who can turn anything into a dirty joke. And that's what the Apostle Paul is referencing here. Again, I'm not making up these words. These are the words that the Apostle Paul is coming up with. And in Greek culture, they were very familiar with everybody. Um, crude witticism, okay? Uh, jokes that can always be, words that are, a, a fella or words that are always being turned base, always being turned sexual. The thing that sets these apart is that these are more for entertainment. We entertain ourselves with this sort of talk. And Paul says, among Christians, that ought not be so, but rather express thanksgiving. Rather express thanksgiving. Now, I have a little illustration here that I think will make perfect sense to all of you. My junior year of high school, um, I was on the baseball team and um, was not accustomed to being um, an outsider on the baseball team, uh, was very much, you know, one of the cool kids, or thought I was anyway. And the Lord started to do a work in my heart, started to really convict me of the things I was doing, the people I was spending time with, the words that I was using. I had a, I had a friend, a, another Christian friend, and when I would play baseball, I would cuss like a sailor. <laughs> and his job, I gave him liberty to punch me as hard as he could if he heard me cuss. And man, he hit really hard, okay? So I only made that mistake around him a couple of times, okay? Well, I remember this passage. My youth pastor pointed out this passage. and Because I, I was saying, I don't know how to get around it. Like, I'm with these guys all the time. It's all we do. It's all they talk about. I don't know how to get around it. 
And he said, well, just elevate the conversation. You don't have to rebuke them. You don't have to say, hey, guys, let's keep it PG. All you have to do is just start talking about things you're thankful for. Well, as a 16, 17-year-old, that's, that's a tall order. But I started trying it. And you know what I found? I didn't have to unmake friends. They unmade me. <laughs> Suddenly, I was left with one friend on the baseball team who also happened to be a professing Christian. John says that darkness flees in the presence of light. And if you're wondering, how do I elevate the conversation around me in a way that'll work, just elevate the conversation around you to gratitude, and you'll be surprised how quickly the darkness will run from you. You won't have to run from it. And then you'll be left with the other problem that I faced. What do I do now? <laughs> what do I do now? Well, that was a whole different issue that Paul will take up later in our text. All right. Paul's now going to answer why. Okay, he's a good teacher. Maybe some of you have been asking why as well. Why? Why mustn't these things be named among us? Is, is Paul just giving us rules? Is Paul just throwing command at us and telling us to be more moral people, to be better people. Is that what he's telling us to do? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Number one, Paul, Paul gives us four reasons, four reasons in verses five and six, why these things shouldn't be named among us. And I'd like you to write these down. Because again, this is for Christians, about Christians, to Christians. Okay, number one, why shouldn't this be named among us? Because these types of sins are a contradiction of the very core of Christianity. They're a contradiction of the very core of Christianity. Sin caused a break with God that necessitated the death of his son. Indulging in or even celebrating these actions that sent Jesus to the cross undercuts the message of Christ crucified. The Son of God had to die because we did these very things. And to indulge in them and celebrate them utterly, completely, and thoroughly contradicts that message. Number two, these sins forget that those involved in them are in dire need of a Savior. These sins forget that those involved in them are in dire need of a Savior. I was sharing recently. We, we do videoing at the Seagull Lily Foundation. I found myself in front of the camera a good bit more than I'm used to, which was before was basically zero. <laughs> Something struck me while I was doing some of this filming. 
is the number of people required to film anything. You've got video people and sound people. You've got editors. You've got set people. All sorts of people. Lighting people. I want you to think about a, a pornea. I want you to think about pornography. The image that you see on the screen involves a person or two or three. Now, if you could take a camera, the camera, and swivel it around the other way, what would you see? you'd see an army of people profiting off of that. And all of those people need Jesus. All of those people need Jesus. And when we indulge, we forget that. Number three, these sins forget the central call of discipleship, which is to bring ourselves under the control and command of the Spirit of Christ. The central call of discipleship is to take up our cross and deny ourselves. To ask Jesus to be our Lord. And these six sins, forget that. And then fourth, Paul is going to argue that these six sins, verse 6, at the heart of all of it, immorality, idolatry, covetousness, at the heart of all of it is a lie. At the heart of all of it is a lie. Now, friends, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, okay? I'm going to tell you what the lie is. I'm going to tell you what the lie is, and I'm going to tell you how false it is. Okay. The lie is this, that I can do this consequence-free. I, I can do this consequence-free. That's always the lie. I can do this. Either, either God will forgive me, or it's not hurting anybody, or I deserve this. Or, you name the lie, but it all goes back to this. I can get away with this. I can do this consequence-free. Now, friends, in my line of work, I, uh, I help people that have both been victims and victimizers in these areas of life. And I'm going to tell you something. It is never, ever consequence-free. Ever. The shame that we feel, the guilt that we feel, the guilt and shame that we put on others, the bomb that we drop in other people's lives. The Apostle Paul says, don't, 
Don't be deceived. Don't believe that lie. You say, but doesn't, doesn't God want me to be happy? Of course he does. Of course he does. God has your ultimate happiness in mind. God has your ultimate happiness in mind. And I, I've, I've, got, I've got a little couch in here in my office that has been covered in tears. As proof. of the lie that I can get away with this consequence free. I've had some folks suggest that I get rid of the couch because it's ugly and I can only fit two people on it. I, ha- I, I don't have it in my heart to get rid of it because there's been some heartache on that couch. But you know what else there's been? Some victory. Some moments where God broke through forgiveness people who were apart embracing each other and just too many of those good ones on that couch that I don't want to give up besides it was my grandma's and you can't make me get rid of my grandma's couch here's what I want us to take away okay I'm going to ask some questions Who was this message for? For who? Believers, Christians, saints. So is it appropriate for us to point our fingers outside the windows of the world? Is that appropriate? Show me where we should point the fingers. Here, right? And there's a pattern it's Christ crucified. It's Christ crucified. We die to ourselves. We follow the Lord. And we allow his love to transform us and change us. We live out lives of authenticity as the gospel would demand. Last thought. Um, Don't raise your hand. If I were to say, how many of us have failed sexually? Every hand would go up. <laughs> how many of us have failed with covetousness or greed? Every hand would go up. Because we're all sinners. And in our morning service, we're going to study Hebrews chapter 10. Christ died once for all time to perfect those who are being sanctified. You can be washed, you can be cleansed, you can be whole. All that guilt, all that shame can be gone because of what Jesus did for you and wants to do for you. So there's a lot of hope and there should be a lot of hope. So let's not walk around the rest of the day with mopey heads, mopey faces. Let's anticipate the forgiveness we will feel when we're reminded of Christ crucified. Fair enough? All right, let's pray. Father, give us grace to take heart this message that the Apostle Paul has for us this morning. 
help us to be people of integrity. And I pray that our lives would be consistent and authentic as it relates to the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.